So we're reading Luke chapter 2, starting at verse 21. And in the Bible that just says Holy Bible on the front, it's on page 725. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise him, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he had been conceived. When the time of their purification, according to the law of Moses, had been completed, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child, sorry, brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what he had said to sorry, what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own heart too. There was also a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom and the grace of God was upon him. Amen. Thank you, musicians and song leaders. Just before the service, I was speaking with Luke, who's uh, visiting us from Sydney, who's in our, uh, the front row there. And uh, it was great talking to Luke because he said to me, you know what, this is a fabulous week. He said that uh, because we've got three opportunities to come to church in only two days. Isn't that great? So we've had Christmas Day and uh, we're here this morning. 
And that third opportunity is tonight, actually, five o'clock at uh, uh, night church. And uh, there's an opportunity to come along and to fellowship with God's people uh, tonight or five o'clock. And uh, uh, today we're going to, at 5 p.m., we're going to be hearing a little bit from Alice, amongst other things. And Alice is going to be sharing with us uh, about the, uh, the challenges and the opportunities that God has given her in uh, moving from Port Macquarie and settling and establishing herself under God as a Christian in Sydney. So if you're free at five o'clock, uh, it'd be great to uh, come along and we'd love to see you. Uh, but let's pray now, shall we? Father in heaven, we want to thank you for your word. We thank you that your word and your spirit draws us together uh, in Christ as your people. And Father, we pray now that you would, uh, by your spirit, that you would be opening our minds and uh, challenging our hearts and encouraging us in the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. So how was Boxing Day for you yesterday, folks? <clears throat> for me, uh, often Boxing Day is sort of like that's the wind down from Christmas. Is it like that for you? Uh, when a, not a whole lot of things happen. Uh, but normally there's three things about uh, Boxing Day, which I think are sort of like a bit of a snapshot of Australian culture. So the Sydney to Hobart yacht race. It's part of our culture, isn't it? Cancelled. <clears throat> Test cricket, the uh, Boxing Day uh, match. Only 30,000 people allowed in the MCG yesterday. And then there's the Boxing Day sales. When thousands of people endure the crush uh, just to snap themselves up a bargain or two, I'm presuming that uh, yesterday it was more like a socially distanced crush uh, at the Boxing Day sales, uh, if that at all. But there you have it, the ocean, sport and material things. It's a bit of a picture of who we are and what we value as Australians. And in one sense, it's actually not a bad follow-on from Christmas Day. Because for many of us, Christmas Day is about pleasure, it's about family, food, and presents. And the image that people have of Jesus can actually fit very nicely into that comfortable view of Christmas. And for there he is, the newborn baby, sound asleep in the manger with sheep and cows and shepherds. It's a very warm, very peaceful, and it's not at all confronting. It's not at all confronting to what we believe or how we live. And the problem for many is that our thinking about Jesus doesn't take us much, much past that image. And yet when we look further at the birth of Jesus, um, as we'll be doing so today, and you might want to have your Bibles open at Luke chapter 2, our thinking and our values and the things which we treasure, our lives, can actually be turned upside down. Now, how is this so? Well, in fact, we don't need to go much past the birth of Jesus, uh, which we looked at on Christmas Day, because in the second half of Luke chapter 2, we learn what happened after the shepherds left. Now, this passage uh, teaches us two things or tells us about two things. 
Uh, first of all, it tells us about what Mary and Joseph did next after the birth of Jesus. And secondly, it tells us about who they met. So first of all, uh, what did Mary and Joseph do after the shepherds left? Now, um, even these days, there are some cultures that have um, uh, well thought through um, uh, traditions and practices uh, which happen after a child is born. Uh, for example, in some traditional cultures, uh, mothers have a period of confinement, a period of rest where uh, everything is done for them and they themselves do nothing, uh, which goes on for a period of a month or so. And uh, what they eat is uh, medicinal foods. And at the end of that um, uh, period of one month, uh, there is a celebration that takes place, a big feast, uh, in order to celebrate the newborn baby and the mother coming out of her confinement period. It sounds like a good idea, doesn't it? Uh, I'm sure the mothers here would agree with that. But the postnatal culture in first century Palestine uh, was, um, was actually based on God's law. Uh, Joseph and Mary uh, were two people who loved God and who sought to obey God. And so in verses 21 to 24, there are a few things which had to happen after the birth of the newborn. So let me read those for you. Verse 21. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise him, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he was conceived. When the time of their purification, according to the law of Moses, had been completed, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two pigeons. So what happened after the birth of Jesus? Well, first of all, circumcision happened. Uh, for Jewish baby boys, this happened on their eighth day. And circumcision was a symbol uh, of the, the promise that God had given to Abraham that he would have a son who would be born um, miraculously. Uh, circumcision was a symbol that God had been gracious to the descendants of Abraham, of which this child was one. But here, the main, main point is not so much the circumcision as it is that Joseph and Mary named their boy Jesus. Now, this was an act of obedience. Uh, for as we saw last Sunday, uh, this was the name which the angel Gabriel had said that the baby was to be called. He was to be called Jesus. Why? What does it mean? For he would save his people from their sins. Now, secondly, um, in the Old Testament, ceremonial uncleanness was often associated with blood flow. And one of the things which happens in childbirth is blood flow. And so in Leviticus chapter 12, verses 1 to 5, when a woman gave birth um, to a boy, uh, she was considered to be ceremonially unclean for 33 days. 
And during that 33-day period, uh, she was in a sense confined in the sense that she was not uh, allowed to go to the, to the tabernacle or she was not allowed to go to the, the temple uh, in order to worship God. And so here we see that after waiting for 33 days that this new family left Bethlehem and travelled to Jerusalem in order to visit the temple. Now, by the way, that's not such a long trip. I actually uh, checked it on Google, Google Maps, and Google Maps tells me that uh, uh, it's about a nine-kilometre nine journey, and uh, which, if you're walking, uh, Google Maps tells me it takes two hours to walk it. And I presume, though, that it may have been a little bit different 2,000 years ago with uh, different conditions, and also a bit more challenging when you've got a newborn baby. But the question is, why did they go to Jerusalem? Uh, when we um, have babies, we tend to receive gifts. But when Jesus was born, it was the parents who gave a gift. Do you see what that gift is? The gift was their son. They presented Jesus to the Lord. For the firstborn son was to be consecrated to the Lord. But they also gave to the Lord two birds. Now, in this, we, this actually gives us a little bit of a snippet of information about um, Mary and Joseph and about their, uh, their social standing, if you like. Uh, in Leviticus chapter 12, after childbirth, a, a mother is to offer up um, to God two sacrifices. Uh, one was to be a, a, a one-year-old lamb and the other one was to be a pigeon or, or a dove. But what if a young couple could not afford a, a, a lamb? Well, in that case, there was a, there was a poverty clause because instead of a lamb uh, and a pigeon, two pigeons would suffice. And, and this is what they offer. And what we see here is that uh, uh, having left the splendour of heaven and become incarnate as one of us, that Jesus was not born into wealth, he was not born into privilege, but he was born into very ordinary, very humble circumstances. And yet the postnatal program tells us three more things. It tells us by implication that, um, that Mary and Joseph uh, wanted to obey God's law. Uh, secondly, it tells us that from birth that Jesus was under God's law and thirdly, it tells us that sacrifices and circumcision were, were more than just a mere quaint custom. Uh, these uh, had, uh, had great substance, great reality, for they were a reminder of human sin and God's grace. Um, not that childbirth is in any way sinful, of course not, but that the sacrificial system was instigated by God as a reminder that things are not right between us and him, that a sacrifice must be paid for sin. So there we have what Mary and Joseph did after the birth of Jesus. What about who they met? Who did Mary and Joseph meet at the temple? Well, firstly, they met a man named Simeon. Uh, let's pick it up at verse 25. There was a now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel 
and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. The child's father and mother marvelled at what was said about him. So uh, there you have it, Joseph and Mary, they arrive at the temple with their baby and lo and behold, there is someone there who was expecting them to come, who knew that they were coming and was looking forward to them coming. Uh, notice the work of the Holy Spirit in Simeon's life. Uh, that uh, throughout the Bible, the Spirit um, is uh, described as being upon certain people uh, in a different way to uh, in the coming in Acts chapter 2 when He's literally poured out on many, many people. But here is a man who has the Holy Spirit in his life. In verse 25, the Holy Spirit, we're told, was upon him. In verse 26, the, the Holy Spirit had told him, had spoken to him and told him that he would, uh, uh, that, that he would not die until he had seen the Christ. Uh, and then in verse 27, the Holy Spirit on this occasion moved him to enter into the temple courts where he laid his eyes upon Jesus. That is, the Holy Spirit was responsible for this meeting. Um, God had it all under control. But what was it that Simeon was waiting for? It wasn't just any baby. Uh, Simeon longed for the day uh, for the consolation of God's people, means the comfort of God's people. Simeon longed for the day when, when the Saviour King would come. And this is it. This is the day that he's been waiting for. This is the day that he's dreamed of. We're actually not told specifically that Simeon was an elderly man. Uh, that's not stated specifically about him. But the way he sees this is that he's, he's now ready to go. <laughs> He says, Lord, dismiss your servant um, because his eyes have seen the salvation of God. And Simeon was not alone. Uh, have a look at verse 36. There was also a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. Uh, she was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after marriage and then was a widow until she was 84 she never left the temple, but worshipped day and night, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. Now, who does our world tend to value? I think we tend to value people who are you know, particularly talented and particularly successful and uh, I think that we have a tendency to idolise youth. Uh, and, and that's even true in Christian ministry. 
where we can exalt certain leaders because of their abilities and their um, <clears throat> and their their personalities and so on. But that's and that's a good thing. But it's not the same as greatness, is it? True greatness is actually different to that. Here we see a great woman of God, and there's nothing flash about her. She's 84 years of age. And in verse 36, she's from the tribe of Asher, uh, which means that Asher is one of the ten lost tribes of Israel. Asher is one of the tribes that um, <clears throat> were assimilated with the Assyrians. Uh, and uh, yet uh, we see here that there was uh, at least a remnant of the tribe of Asher. That uh, Here is a lady who could trace her genealogy uh, back to that tribe. And she's been a widow, not just for a few years. She has been a widow for most of her life, which would have meant that she'd be fairly poor. And yet Anna is truly great in God's eyes. For how does she spend most of her days? In verse 37, worshipping God, fasting and praying. Praying for what? Well, in verse 38, she prayed for the redemption of Jerusalem. That is, she prayed for the birth, for the coming of God's king, who would be the saviour of the world, who would establish God's kingdom. And now God has answered her prayer. Friends, this is an encouragement to us, isn't it? <clears throat> that we should be people who long for God's kingdom. That we should be people who are committed to praying for the Return of the Lord Jesus Christ as King. And so these are the people Joseph and Mary met. And so far, uh, I think this story still kind of fits in beautifully with the Australian Christmas culture. You know, we've had the story of the baby in the manger with the shepherds and the sheep and cows and so on. And here we have a story about um, two people, one of, one of them at least, who is very elderly, who have received what they've longed for. It's a great day for them. But it only fits with our culture <clears throat> if we totally ignore what Simeon actually said. Take a look at verse 34. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your soul too. Now, this doesn't sound like great news, does it? It's a prophecy. If it's a, it's a prophecy of what this young baby would do in his life and the effect that he would have on people, indeed even of Mary herself. For Jesus would expose sinful hearts and because of that Jesus would be spoken against, he would be opposed and one day his mother's heart would be pierced. I remember uh, once <clears throat> here in Port Macquarie, it was a few years ago now, just before Christmas, 
And uh, there were a couple of us from church who were, um, who were speaking with a lady who was not a Christian lady. We were uh, visiting her in her home. And uh, I remember that her home was just so beautifully decorated with all of the Christmas stuff. You know, the, the, uh, the beautifully decorated Christmas tree, the place was full of tinsel and Christmas lights and Christmas cards everywhere. Some of the Christmas cards had the picture of the baby in the manger and so on. And I remember her telling us just how much she loved Christmas. She said, it's my absolute favorite time of the year. And then I mentioned Jesus and the conversation just froze. That was the end. She didn't want to talk about Jesus. And it's a snapshot of sin. We love the baby in the manger, but that's exactly where we want to keep him, where he does not rule our lives, where he does not and cannot offend. Simeon told Mary that a sword would pierce her heart. And this is a prophecy about suffering and Mary's personal pain when Jesus would die on the cross to pay the penalty for our sin. And it's why he came. For we all need someone <clears throat> to expose our sin and to pay for our sin. And of course, not everyone's thrilled by this message. Uh, in verse 34, Simeon said that Jesus would, would divide people, that there would be many people who would, would fall uh, on account of him. Uh, they will be judged. There'll be many others who would be raised because of him. He divides people. And we see this ourselves, don't we? Uh, we see people, uh, for, you know, by the time that Christmas is over, it's very easy for people to forget about Jesus and to, to lose themselves in the summer holidays and whatever challenges 2021 may hold. But is that the right response to Jesus? Friends, the coming of Jesus is the event uh, which truly should shake our world and which should change who we are. At the beginning of his life, Jesus' parents offered a sacrifice. At the end of his life, Jesus became the sacrifice. Jesus didn't enter into our world just so that we can enjoy Christmas, as enjoyable as it is. No, the reason he came was to die on the cross. And that is not the Jesus who you can simply um, <clears throat> have him in the manger, which you pack away at the end of Christmas and just bring him, bring him out again in 12 months' time. This is the Jesus who offends us. This is the Jesus who confronts us and he does so because he loves us and came to save us. Now, 2020 has been a year uh, in which our lives have changed in many ways, don't you think? Think about the ways that your life has changed throughout 2020. I know for myself that, uh, <clears throat> you know, I think back, back in March, I did not even know what a Zoom was. I thought it was something that Mazda cars did. <laughs> and yet now, 
I'm, I'm an expert at it. I, I do it all the time. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's become how we, how we connect with one another, hasn't it? And it's my guess that in some ways that after COVID-19, that we actually won't want life to return to exactly what it was before. Uh, because uh, 2020 has, uh, has done some good things for us. It's, 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 um, it's helped us to develop our skills. It's changed the way that we connect. Uh, it's changed the way that we work. It's changed the way that we, uh, even where we work from, in some ways that are really positive. That is to say that after COVID-19, I really doubt that we will just go back to living as if 2020 never happened. And yet after Christmas every year, there are so many people who are content to just keep living as if Jesus never happened, as if the event of Christmas never happened. So what impact does Jesus have on your life? How has he changed the way that you live? Do you love him? Do you trust him? Do you obey him? Or do you live as if he never came? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of Jesus. We thank you that Jesus uh, came into this world and that he lived under the law. Father, we thank you so much that he actually became the sacrifice for sin. We pray for each one of us that you would open our minds and expose the reality of our hearts, that we would be aware of just how much we have fallen short of uh, your glory. Father, we pray that each one of us would truly put our trust in Jesus and that his birth, his life, his death and resurrection would be the defining issue of our lives, that it would change us, that we would be people who trust him, who love you and seek to live for you. In Jesus' name, amen.